only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding This morning I'll be reading from Luke chapter 23 verses 26 through 56 regarding the crucifixion of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke is the third book in the New Testament and today's passage, if you'd like to follow along with me, can be found on page 884 of the Blue Bible in front of you in the pew. It's amazing that Jesus' ministry to those around him continued, even as he faced overwhelming physical and emotional trials of exhaustion and public ridicule on the way to the cross. Jesus had words of encouragement and prophecy for others, even when he was the one person in the crowd who desperately needed comfort and encouragement. I concur with the centurion's statement in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. Truly, this was the Son of God. So let us hear the word of the Lord our God, Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 56. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green... What will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say today, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. 
Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray together that God would bless us as we study his word. Lord, we come to you, the giver of life, the very one who died for us and was raised again. Lord, you, you are the living Lord. You have raised us from the dead spiritually and you indwell us by your Holy Spirit. We are, as Paul says, your body whom you cherish and nurture. And so, Lord, we pray, not because we deserve it, but because of what you have accomplished for us, that you would so cherish us and nurture us even now. Lord, as you love to make known your glory and beauty so that your people believe in you and that your sheep are gathered to you to to trust in Christ, so, Lord, exalt your name now. We pray it for your glory. Amen. I'm going to look some at the suffering of Jesus, the physical suffering and degradation, and ask what do we do with that in terms of our faith. And then we'll see, of course, the example of one who did see the glory of Christ, uh, this criminal uh, who hung next to Jesus. And we really will be presented with this uh, challenge to us. Will we believe as even the criminal did? Will we see the glory of Christ as he even saw the glory of Christ as his bloodied form hung on a cross? We are told in all the accounts, and you're familiar with this, some from movies and the like, with the scourging that preceded crucifixion. Scourging or flagellum as it is in the uh, Latin, the flogging scourging. As you know, perhaps they used whips with uh, pieces of bone and metal. There was really no maximum number of strikes. It was up to the soldiers, whatever they wanted to do. It lacerated and stripped the flesh until it hung in bleeding shreds. Josephus tells of incidences in which men's bones were showing because of the flesh being ripped off and incidences in which their internal organs showed because of the ripping off of the flesh. 
For that reason, some people never made it to the crucifixion because of the horrible death that they suffered in the scourging. Women, therefore, were exempted, even though women could be crucified, slave women and women of the lower classes could be crucified, but they couldn't be scourged and they were not allowed to even see it. It is said of Domitian, the emperor of Rome, that he was horrified upon viewing a scourging. So our Lord Jesus was scourged. Secondly, we see how he was shamed. Shamed in the most horrible way. There's a kind of, as one writer describes it, a grotesque burlesque show put on. A a horrible upside-down vaudeville act almost as they paraded him in dressing him up in what could have been just an old faded robe or a purple rug of some kind. You know that the crowns of the emperors were leaves, you know, vines. And so not so much as a painful thing, though it may have hurt some, but it was just a ridicule of the emperor's uh, wreath that they put thorns on him. And they bowed before him and exalted him. And the whole thing, of course, just ridicule. They, they did this to an emperor one time right before his execution. They did it to one fellow who was mentally uh, challenged, we would put it, before he uh, was to be put to death. They did, this is the way they, of course, degraded and shamed the person. You see the degradation of the leaders as he's on the cross. The shame just heaped upon him and the soldiers. Even the criminal who's being crucified is now heaping shame upon Christ. The lowest of the lowest form of punishment and he acts in a shameful way to Christ. The loss of clothes indicated in that society, the loss of dignity, the loss of even personal identity to the Jews to be naked was to lack human status altogether. So he was so shamed. Crucifixion was meant to be a public spectacle. It would always be an advertisement. It would be put on the the busiest roads so that everybody could see. This was the way that the uh, Romans, it was their their terror apparatus, you might put it. The way they terrorized people so that they wouldn't rebel against them. Uh, There's one incident of uh, under Spartacus, a hundred years before this, in a rebellion of slaves, and along a 30-mile stretch of road, 6,000 slaves were crucified in order to demonstrate this is what happens when you try to go against the Romans. And that's part of the ridicule of the Romans putting the king of the Jews as a placard over him. Yeah, this is your king, the lowest of the lowly, and we're associating him on purpose with common criminals. This is what a king of Israel looks like. And then the crucifixion itself, as Lane describes it, one of the cruelest, most degrading forms of punishment ever 
conceived by human perversity, even in the eyes of the pagan world. Cicero is just one of many pagan writers that wrote against crucifixion because it was so cruel. Cicero wrote, even the mere word cross must remain not only far from the lips of the citizens of Rome, but also far from their thoughts, their eyes, their ears. He calls it the grossest, cruelest, most horrifying manner of execution. Josephus called it the most wretched of all ways of dying. So this excessive, unlimited cruelty was unleashed then on the lowest and most defenseless of this society. It was, it could not be brought against a Roman citizen. And even Jerusalem, horribly, when they were under siege by the Romans, the Romans in what Run Rider calls uh, sadistic ingenuity, uh, had people crucified before the walls in every conceivable way and position as a mockery and as a statement to you within the walls. This is what's going to happen to you. Try to bring them into despair. And the sad thing, this, um, the, the cross of Christ, of course, is central to the history of the world, but to the Romans, it meant nothing. They write histories of this period when they were... And they said nothing happened. This was just one of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of crucifixions. And so to them, this was just another piece of trash that we're putting to death in this crucifixion. And that's where we, of course, the word excruciating still borrows from the pain of this death that under optimum circumstances, according to the Romans, would last two, three, four days. They have uncovered tombs of people who were crucified, uh, and it shows that they were crucified in different ways. One man, his legs were crossed, bent to the side, and his feet brought together, and there was one long nail put through both heels. That's how the bottom part and his legs jutted out and then he was crucified. Another man's legs, uh, it is shown, were on each side of the cross and had nails through the heels and each side of the cross and his hands were lashed with ropes to the cross. And so Hingle says this, Christ identified himself with the extreme of human wretchedness. The extreme of human wretchedness. The most horrible death imaginable. Now, why? What good does this do you and me? It's not described in detail here because even the mention of crucifixion, everybody knew what that meant. The mention of scourging, everybody knew what that meant. But there is tremendous comfort for you and me in this regard, several regards. But in in the first place, when we think about God's righteous justice to condemn us, 
And when you know for sure of your own sinfulness, it's the sinfulness that you've exercised toward your parents in disobedience and lying. It's the sinfulness that husbands and wives toward each other in so many different ways. The things we've thought, the things we've said or not said to each other. The, 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 the sin, the, the gross thoughts that we've had in life that we would be horrified for people to know. And we know that we, as it says in Romans 1, we know we justly deserve God's condemnation. It is encouraging to see the horrible death of Christ as a picture, as a physical picture and part of God's punishing of His Son in our place. He truly, truly, horribly suffered so that we will not suffer for our sins. See, that's the message. We tremble at what happened to him. But it is our joy because this is our king who in so doing that, and, and, and again, it's not simply the physical pain, but there, the horror of that pain is to try to show us that he was even bearing the sin of mankind at that point. And so you can have confidence. My sin truly was punished. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. The, the concern of Scripture is not, why does anyone go to hell? The concern for Scripture is, why do people not go to hell? <laughs> That's really the concern of Scripture. And Paul in Romans 3 says, this is to show, in, in the horrible death that Christ suffered, this is to show that it was okay and is okay for God not to punish sin. Otherwise, he would clearly be an unrighteous judge that doesn't care about human iniquity and human hatred against one another. But he does. He cares infinitely. And it is punished. And only because it is punished in his son can we then trust in his son, knowing that an offering has been made. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. Why? Because he was truly, completely, horribly condemned. That's why there can be forgiveness. But apart from bloodshed, there is no forgiveness. God's not just a grandfather. You know, let's just forget about what you did. And you see more clearly than any other place the weight of sin, the horror of sin, the, the guilt of sin as you see what happened to Christ when he at that time was associated with our sin. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, he became sin for us. Or 1 Peter 2, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And as we said last week, we showed in all of the, uh, the, the arrest and the legal pronouncement of a sentence, it was clear at every point, he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent. This is a righteous man that is dying to show us that the righteous one is standing in our place. He is condemned through the authorities, and that became God's condemnation in our place, so that there would be no condemnation for us. Secondly, I want you to think as well of the shame that he bore. The horrible shame and exposure in every way, because it is shame that drives us so many times. 
It is shame that keeps us from admitting how wrong we are. It's shame that makes us proud and unrepentant. And when someone brings up things that we do wrong, we don't even want to talk about it. And we act all angry and, uh, and, and we're sullen. But it's really shame. It's that we can't stand the idea of admitting, I am wrong. I think wrong things. I want wrong things. I really hate people. I really hate them. I really don't want to care for people. I really don't want to do things. We just, to, to admit that and to be among a people that can shamefully say to one another, I am a sinner. It's not just that I have done a few things. I am, I am a bad person at times. Very bad. You see, he has borne shame. He's borne the shame as so clearly expressed in every way possible in this uh, passage so that we would be able to admit our shame, so that we would know that God will forgive us for all of our sin and that we would be a people to convey that forgiveness to one another, to be a place of safety in which there will be discretion and you won't misuse information and, and people can know, I can really talk about my problems in this place. It's built upon the cross that he bore our sin and shame. And thirdly, the fact, it's amazing what Christ had to suffer in order for one day you and me to be resurrected and have new bodies. It, it, it was not going to be possible that this body, which now 57 years old, ugh, amazing. <clears throat> uh, and I know if it's 67, you're more amazed that you've gotten that far, of course. Um, but these bodies that will one day die and then will decay. I, I was just reading as an extended reading about uh, burial that they would let the body stay for 12 months and then they'd go back and get the bones, put them in an ossuary, you know. But it's like, okay, got 12 months and every part except your bones are just gone, okay? That's what's going to happen to every one of our bodies. The only hope of resurrection had to be through this excruciating suffering of Christ. And look what he does. Associates himself with us to bear wrath so that in that association with him and our union, we would be redeemed fully and forever with new bodies forever at the, when he comes and raises us from the dead at the second coming. And so the extreme of human wretchedness to bring about the extreme of human blessedness for us forever. But there was no way to do it except through that pain. And so the measure of this suffering is to show that ultimately and finally we will not suffer and our bodies will not suffer for our sin. Our bodies will finally be redeemed because He has suffered in his body. It doesn't mean that we will not have pain in this life. It doesn't mean that we won't die. But it is a statement that the punishment of God and the condemnation that would have destroyed us forever has been unleashed upon Christ. And so we will be redeemed forever in Christ.
And our time is up, but I want to just mention this uh, criminal who believed on Christ. We have in other accounts the fact that both criminals at one point, it seems, were ridiculing him. And this man began to see something in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like other marginalized people in Luke, like the centurion who saw in Christ a power that those around him, other Jews, did not see when he said, you don't have to go with me to heal my servant because I know what authority is. I know what it is to say to these soldiers, go and they go. I know what that authority is. You have the authority to just say it and my, uh, my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. You know who I am and what I can do. You, you've put your faith in me. This man believed that even in death, that Christ was a savior. That even in death, this would issue in his being exalted as a king. Because he was able to say in your kingdom, Lord, remember me. In your kingdom, you are king and I see your glory and your beauty. I see that you are innocent. I see that you are Lord. I see that you are Savior. Save me. And he rebuked the other man because he says, Do you not fear God? We are justly being condemned. He is not. So he admitted his own sin. He saw in Christ perfection and righteousness and the accomplishment of salvation, and he entrusted himself to Jesus. And Jesus wonderfully said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Today I will be in the presence of my Father, and today you'll be with me in the presence of my Father. And some of you know, most of you may have heard that story, that this is what, uh, this is the passage that kind of ruled my life in terms of. Uh, what I wished for my life, if, you, if I could be anybody in history, I was asked one time in class, who would you be? And I said, I'd like to be this guy. <laughs> At the time, I didn't think that anybody could know that you're going to heaven, but he did know he was going to heaven. This horrible murderer, likely, insurrectionist, now knew that he was going to heaven. Well, I found out later that I could know that I was going to heaven. And I want to challenge you. Because what he says to him, think how differently it is from what he said to the women as they were weeping over him. And he said, you know, this, this crying over me is, is not what you need to be doing. Uh, you need to be crying over what's going to happen to you, what's going to happen to this city. Because there will be a day when it would be great if you could just have the walls or the mountains fall on you and crush you because it's going to be so bad for you. And it was bad when the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem and people were eating their children. And one woman came to the authorities and said, hey, I agreed with this woman to eat our children and we ate mine, but she won't give me hers. That's what went on behind the walls as others were being, who had tried to escape, were being crucified in front of them. And here's the thing, God makes the most, the ultimate sacrifice, going to the extreme of human wretchedness. And now the Father offers each one of you His Son 
as a substitute to die in your place. What will happen to you if you say no to that? If you say, you know, it's a great story, but I just don't recognize him as Lord. I don't see in him a Savior. The, the cross is offensive to me like it was to the leaders, like it was to the Roman soldiers. But there was a Roman soldier there, the centurion, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And another account says, this was the Son of God. As we come to the Lord's table, we must recognize Him as these men recognized Him and trust Him as they trusted Him. And for you and me, it means to put the whole of your life into His hands for forgiveness so that there will be no condemnation. And so in His resurrection, which we will look at next week, we will receive new life. One of the things you may say is, you know, my desires just aren't what they should be. I, I don't know if I can even want to want what a Christian wants. That's part of his salvation. That's part of what he does in his death and resurrection is he brings us into a whole new way of thinking and living by his salvation. And so I urge you, this message could be for you one of ultimate judgment. Or it can be a message to you of the most glorious salvation. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray that you would fix in our hearts the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God made man, living a perfect life, and then allowing himself to be condemned to suffer, to be crucified in the place of sinners, that he might offer to us, as Peter and the other apostles did just days from this event, offered him as the Lord who provides forgiveness, restoration to God, and a transformation of life. You are indeed the Lord, a Lord such as one could never even imagine a Lord of such grace and love, of self-sacrifice, a Lord that if you will do this for us, then the whole of our lives in your care must be under the care of one who will do all good things for his people. Oh Lord, bless us, bless us that we may trust you. And if there are any here who have not trusted you, any here who are living independent of you and do not care for you, oh Lord, please, we pray, work in their hearts even now and draw them so that they, like this centurion and like this criminal and like we ourselves, helpless sinners, have found salvation and rescue in Jesus Christ. We pray it for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, 
and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?